Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now loading Batman contingency plans. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode 10 of Star Wars Andor. And we also have a film review for Weird, the Al Yankovic story. And of course, we're recapping the latest episode of AEW. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we have more casting news for Marvel's Agatha Coven of Chaos. With the principal photography scheduled for next month, the WandaVision spinoff Agatha Coven of Chaos continues to fill out its cast as Deadline reports the additions of Sashir Zamata from the film Spree and comedian Eric Andre, best known for his work on, you know, the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim. This report also confirmed Aubrey Plaza's addition to the cast after last week's rumors. No word on who any of these characters are going to be, but it seems like that information will probably be coming sooner than we thought. On top of that, Illuminerity has made claims that directors Jack Schaefer and uh, Ganja Montiero, I apologize if I messed that up, will be working on a couple of episodes and that, you know, the series itself will be nine episodes long. While that isn't confirmed just yet, I wouldn't be surprised by, you know, the amount of episodes and how long they are being similar to She-Hulk's. Yeah, when it comes to these MCU shows, I feel like nine episodes is like the sweet spot spot um it just makes sense like six is just way too few um and like 12 maybe stretching it a little sometimes so we say before daredevil comes out well daredevil <laughs> what, what is daredevil like 18 or something insane yeah. yeah well you remember like sometimes with those netflix marvel shows there were so many filler episodes that was like okay mm. this really could have been like you know nine episodes long if they wanted it to be but for some reason there was like this edict where every like season needed to be 13 episodes long so uh -huh. i'm totally good with nine episodes like i said i feel like that's a sweet spot um i don't know the actress's work at all um but eric andre i mean he feels like the perfect fit for a show like this right i could see him playing like a warlock character or you know a zany neighbor of some sort yeah exactly someone who can bounce off Catherine Hahn and like Aubrey Plaza pretty easily. Yes, so. yes, yes. Well, moving on to our next story, we have a huge Deadpool 3 rumor. Industry insider Daniel RPK claims Owen Wilson's Loki character, Agent Mobius, will be a key figure in Deadpool 3. If this is true, it plays into a lot of, you know, fan theories about this being a, you know, big multiversal story. I wonder if this will take place before or after Loki, though, as I'm not sure what the TVA necessarily is doing or manages after Loki season one, but perhaps this or season two of Loki will kind of explain where they are as an agency now. Yes, I mean, from Jump Street, once this film was announced, we speculated that there was going to be multiverse shenanigans happening. I mean, one, literally the ending of the Deadpool sequel, you know, had him messing up his reality's timeline. And then two, the fact that you, Hugh Jackman is starring as Wolverine, even though we both know 
he most likely won't be Wolverine proper in the MCU. Like, that tells you all you need to know. This is going to involve the multiverse in some, you know, shape or form. Um, and most likely result in Deadpool's full introduction into the MCU. I mean, it's a great way for them to backdoor him and maybe many other, like, you know, characters, you know, outside of the, you know, MCU into the Secret Wars film, if you think about it. Because I could see Logan also, you know, Hugh Jackman's Logan also being part of that movie. Um, mm -hmm. You know, which, you know, once again, the Secret Wars film is 100% going to be about the multiverse. So, And there was also a rumor as well from Daniel RPK that Deadpool 3 would be, you know, hopping into multiple Fox-owned Marvel projects like, uh, you know, 2005's Fantastic Four. So again, that only really points further at this being a multiverse story like we all expect. So it only makes sense that the TVA will be involved somehow, right? Plus, I feel like the character Mobius uh, working alongside Deadpool would be a hilarious film anyway. Yes, <laughs> right? You could see them having like a buddy cop movie together, uh -huh. right? <laughs> <laughs> Deadpool 3 comes out November 8th, 2024. Well, speaking of Deadpool 3, its director, Sean Levy, is in talks to helm an upcoming Star Wars film. We may have word on Deadpool 3's director's next project as, you know, Sean Levy has been reportedly in talks to direct a Star Wars film, which, you know, get in line, I guess. But again, Deadline claims after working on the final season of Stranger Things plus uh, Deadpool 3, he will be up for a Star Wars film. Yeah, I mean, step on up. If anyone's looking for a job, apparently, Kathleen Kennedy is just hiring <laughs> anyone and everyone to direct a Star Wars movie nowadays. Uh, this feels like it should just be like a weekly segment of the podcast, right? <laughs> like, Pretty much. Who's directing Star Wars now? <laughs> He's talented, but let's see if anything really comes of this, because right now they've got nothing to show for all these supposed hirings. Um, they actually just canceled uh, J.D. Dillard's uh, film, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I don't yeah, know if what? we talked about it in the past, but like that popped up in an interview. He also was working on like a Rocketeer project that also got canned, which I'm a little disappointed about. But yeah, apparently he was going to be getting a Star Wars film also, but that's not happening anymore. Honestly, I'm I'm sure there's many Star Wars projects where we haven't heard are in the can or in the works. Yeah, at this if point. you think about it, these are the ones that we've just heard about. Who yes. knows like behind the scenes what other projects they're working on? So, and like how many a week are getting canned? I don't know. Exactly. I mean, it, it feels like right now they're solely just focused on, you know, the Disney Plus shows, which is fine. But I don't know. I wish these leaks would just stop happening because <laughs> it does feel <laughs> redundant at this point. I mean, at least this wasn't like Kathleen Kennedy at a podium announcing uh -huh. this, right? <laughs> like we got that full like teaser like trailer for uh, Patty Jenkins now defunct, uh, you know, Rogue Squadron film. But actually speaking of the Disney Plus Star Wars shows, uh, we got a full cast announcement for the upcoming Acolyte series. So here is the official cast for the Acolyte as Disney revealed uh, Carrie Ann Moss, Rebecca Henderson, Dean Charles Chapman, Daphne Keene, Amanda Sternberg, Jody Turner-Smith, Charlie Barnett, Manny Jacinto, and Lee Jung-Jae to be our stars in this dark tale at the end of the High Republic. The showrunner is Leslie Headland, who's uh, best known for her work on the Russian Dolls series on Netflix, along with this announcement was also 
also the official synopsis stating the acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the high republic era a former padawan reunites with her jedi master to investigate a series of crimes but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated this sounds pretty awesome um i'm all for like seeing a live action high republic error show uh, mm -hmm. my daughter is loving the book series right now so she's gonna have to give me like you know crib notes on exactly like who some of these characters are if we actually have like crossover between like the books and the show um but yeah i mean this sounds pretty cool it's something different and unique yeah i'm definitely interested by the concept of you know a jedi during the high republic era being kicked out like what what did they do to not be a part of the Jedi Order anymore? And, you know, how they end up in this type of situation? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorite, like, Clone War episodes, too, were ones where it was, like, Obi-Wan and, you know, Anakin trying to, like, solve a, a case or, you know, mm -hmm. or they're on some kind of mission where there's a mystery involved. Uh, so I'm all for this. Yeah, I'm hoping for seven meets Star Wars. That's the goal. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> it's an Ewoks head. I, I don't know why I'm obsessed with, you know, decapitating Ewoks at this point, but, you know, whatever. Maybe you have the problem. <laughs> oh, I definitely do. <laughs> There's no argument about that. You know, honestly, I think I, I hated Ewoks even when I would return first came out and I was like eight. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's like, what's the deal with all these fucking Ewoks everywhere? The rest of the movie's great. No, <laughs> it is. But as a kid, I was supposed to enjoy the Ewoks, but no, uh -huh. no. Even then, I wanted more bounty hunters. Well, moving on, we've got a little leftover Marvel news. It looks like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has found their Spider-Punk. Variety reports that Daniel Kaluuya will be a part of the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse cast. Best known for his roles in Get Out, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Black Panther, Daniel will be voicing the iconic Spider-Punk, Hobby Brown. It's a cool character. I don't know if I would, you know, consider him iconic, though, but uh -huh. that's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I love the design. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. It's a great design. Um, yeah, but I mean, he's a great actor. So this is a great hire. When's this coming out again, Christian? Uh, June 2nd, 2023. That's right. Because it got put. It was originally supposed to come out this year. Yes, actually, like last month. <laughs> but hey, I mean, hopefully it's worth waiting for. Also, before we move on from Marvel, according to multiple insiders on Twitter, Tom Holland has signed a new Marvel slash Sony contract that will see the actor return as everyone's favorite friendly neighborhood wall crawler. While it's currently unknown how many films that actually entails, someone did note from the Cosmic Circus that uh, the deal did not include any Disney Plus appearances. So it doesn't look like we'll be getting any like, you know, show uh, cameos uh, anytime soon. I wasn't really holding my breath for that, you know, to happen. And I mean, there's always deals that can be made in the future. But it better be three. I feel like I want to see at least one more trilogy. That's me, though. Oh, man, I want him playing this role until he's in his 60s. I want to see old man Spidey. <laughs> <laughs> you want him in the sweats, like in uh, Into the Spider-Verse? Hell yeah. Why not? <laughs> Tom is my Spider-Man, you know, and I've, you know, I've lived through Andrew. I've lived through Toby, but... You know, I've talked, I've said it before, like, like Tom, I feel like is the most complete Spider-Man. So I'm glad Absolutely. that he's on board. 
Well, moving on to DC, we have a rumor of a possible Batman cameo in the upcoming Blue Beetle film. In an interview recently, comedian and actor George Lopez, who's set to play Uncle Rudy Reyes in the Blue Beetle film, claimed Batman may appear in this film. Lopez making the statement in this kind of unsheer manner stated, I think Batman is in our movie, which has led to a ton of speculation, especially with what Batman it would be. Uh, we know that Michael Keaton's Batman had several planned cameos along with a major appearance in the Flash film, but after a certain recent cameo in Black Adam, there are those wondering if Ben Affleck could be the Batman mentioned, as he is most likely showing up in the upcoming Aquaman sequel as well. Even so, there's a chance that George Lopez could be wrong altogether, but the concept makes sense, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, we heard a while back that Michael Keaton's Batman was gonna be DC's version of Nick Fury and like just like popping up in cameos just across films and shows. So I'm wondering if that's what this appearance is all about and like perhaps maybe he's like recruiting for a bigger mission. Something spinning out of the upcoming Flash film because we know he's a big part of that also. Also, before we move on from DC, and I know it's not on our agenda, but did you see that story about James Gunn teasing Lobo? apparently on Mastodon. Uh, I don't even know what Mastodon is, so that's, no. <laughs> that's exactly what I said. First of all, what the hell is Mastodon? Apparently, like, it's not the metal band. Uh, it's like a social media platform that a lot of people are oh, flocking okay. to because of all the Twitter drama right now. Um, but yeah, I guess his first post was a picture of Lobo. So it got a lot of people talking. I mean, now, obviously... James Gunn is a listener to this show because I mean, just like, 100%. just like what, two, three episodes ago, we were talking about like how perfect it would be to have James Gunn direct a Lobo film. Um, exactly. And now maybe that's happening. Who knows? <laughs> and adding like fuel to the fire, I guess, uh, in some interview earlier this week or last week, uh, Jason Momoa mentioned something about, you know, a dream project that he'd want to do with uh, James Gunn. Uh, and so someone in a interview after this post happened uh, mentioned it to Momoa that, you know, James Gunn teased Lobo and he was kind of playing coy with the situation. Uh, at least that's how I read it. So who knows? And it would be weird. You know, if yeah. Momoa would be playing Lobo and Aquaman. But honestly, I'm willing to sacrifice Aquaman for, you know, Lobo. And he just feels like born to play this part. It would be such a shame to pass it up because he already is playing another DC character. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's a brand new world with, you know, Gunn, you know, in control of DC Studios. So who knows, right? Maybe with enough, you know, makeup and, you know, a well, different facial hairstyle, it's possible. I'm fine you know? with it. Like, I can live with it. I don't know. <laughs> and they don't ever have to cross paths in the films. Uh -huh. So it is what it is. I mean, right now, really, like, the DC universe film-wise is kind of fractured, right? We don't know what movie exists in what universe. They're, they're kind of mm. all over the place. Because you have, like, the Snyderverse films, but then you have, like, the Batman so maybe this is just like a Lobo standalone, you know, film that exists outside of that. You know, or maybe this is, you know, James Gunn's way of starting his own, you know, universe. Because I do feel like eventually he's going to reset the table. 
It's just right now he has so many of these like pre-existing projects that now fall underneath his watch. So I don't know. He's got his hands full, I'll say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm all for a Lobo film. If that could be a thing, make it a thing. I just recently found my issue of uh, Lobo versus uh, Santa Claus. Fantastic oh, stuff. Yeah? <laughs> so much 90s goodness, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you haven't read that, definitely go out of your way to check that out. Well, up next, it looks like we have an Indiana Jones Disney Plus series in development. With its fifth film on the horizon, Variety claims there is also an Indiana Jones series in development over at Disney Plus. Apparently, Lucasfilm and Disney are in talks with writers over the idea of doing a prequel series to the Avengers of Indy. Variety also had claimed that they are throwing around the concept of following other characters instead of Indy as well, in case they wanted to go down that route. At D23, Harrison Ford was pretty adamant about this film being the final one for him as Indiana Jones, so hopefully that means he won't be showing up in any possible Disney Plus series as the character, but honestly, you never know. Hey, I mean, back in the day, I loved the young Indiana Jones series, uh, and I think it was just on, like, network TV, so I could see them doing something like that. That that makes perfect sense. Or who mm -hmm. knows? I mean, maybe they bring back Mutt, you know, your favorite Indiana oh, Jones character of all time. <laughs> <laughs> see what uh, Shia's doing? I, I doubt Disney wants anything to do with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> you know you'd love to see it, Christian. Get out of here. That's why you got that crystal skull tattoo on your back. What? <laughs> Don't lie to these people. If the people listen to you, Damon, my entire back is just covered in so many different tattoos at this point. No, you're just such a passionate fan that you, you keep on uh -huh. getting them removed for new ones. Right, right. That's my headcanon, Christian, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, up next, we have a big cameo rumor for the upcoming John Wick spinoff film, Ballerina. There have been multiple reports of rumored cameos for the John Wick spinoff, Ballerina, starring Anna DeArmas. These stories have come from Collider and The Rap, claiming that Ian McShane, who plays Winston, and John Wick himself, Keanu Reeves, could be in this film. While these cameos haven't been confirmed, it makes sense for both of them to at least have one moment in a spin-off film. Yeah, I could see it being like a flashback of some sort, but regardless if they make an appearance or not, like I'm super excited for this movie. Uh, I got strong like Red Room vibes, you know, from like the little like time we've spent with them mm -hmm. in the John Wick films. So I don't know, man, this, this sounds like a cool project. I mean, Anna DeArmas has done a great job uh, recently in action films like The Gray Man and No Time to Die. So I'm excited to see what she'll do as a lead in this in the John Wick you know, universe. No, I agree. All right. Lastly, on the horror front, it looks like the It prequel series has found its showrunners. It looks like Jason Fuchs, who worked on Wonder Woman, along with Brad Caleb Kane, who worked on Tokyo Vice, are set to be the showrunners for the HBO Max prequel series to the film It. Andy and Barbara Muschietti, who worked on the It films, is set to produce and executive produce alongside the showrunner. Well, I think the concept for the show sounds interesting. Uh... You know, like seeing how this entity has really like plagued this town throughout the past. Um, you know, it's it's a cool idea, but at the same time, I won't lie, I'm a little nervous about this project after you know it chapter two. Um, I just recently rewatched it, and man, it's it's just not good. <laughs> and I mean, I loved I loved the first film. 
I thought that mm. was fantastic, but something with chapter two, like it became too much of like, I don't know, wannabe like Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, honestly. Um, you know, they were just trying to cram as much Pennywise as they could in there, which is usually a good thing, but it just didn't work. Oh, before we go, uh, just a quick horror news note. Uh, it looks like Scream 6 has actually been bumped up. It's no longer coming out March 31st. Instead, it's moving up a couple weeks earlier to March 10th. Well, hey, that's almost a whole month, you know, early, so. It's not a bad thing. All right, Christian, they just dropped the trailer for John Wick Chapter 4. Let's talk about it. Not even you. Everyone. You ready, John? Yeah. Well, Christian, this was definitely a John Wick trailer. Yes. Axes, he's, he's on another horse, too. Yes. Yeah. Axes, horses, gun foo. Uh, Pennywise is apparently in this film. Yes. Uh, you know, everything you could possibly want from a John Wick movie and more. Uh, you know, I mean, they didn't really, you know, break any new ground here, but I mean, this absolutely made me want to go rewatch the entire, like, franchise at this point, so. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm excited for this, and I totally forgot this was you know coming in like just a couple months. It's great. It's been since 2019 since uh, the third one came out. So yeah, it's it slipped my mind a little bit. But I mean, we just talked some news about spinoffs, so I guess well, we should have thought about that. <laughs> and also, like this was pushed back, I think multiple times. Mm -hmm. So this might have been in the can. I might be wrong, but this might have been in the can for a while at this point. I mean, it looks amazing. Uh, you know, it seems like he's headed towards some, like, huge duel at the end of the film. Um, everyone's favorite adjacent, you know, Jedi warrior monk, uh, Sharut, I think I'm saying his name right, M.U. is in this, Danny Yen, of course, who's, you know, obviously had other, you know, pretty noteworthy roles. But. Yeah, I, I think people are more like, oh, it's John Wick versus IP Man, but whatever. But, hey, man, not in my, <laughs> not in my world, Christian. <laughs> I go straight to Rogue One. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and I'm guessing he's probably actually the main villain. That, mm. You know, that, that's just the vibe I get from this. Um, like, you know, Wick probably has his duel with Skarsgård, and then, you know, he ends up having to face off against, you know, Donnie Yen. So the vibe I'm getting is Skarsgård knows he's going to get killed either way, so he sends Donnie Yen and his crew after him. That's what I think it's going to be could be mm. i think I, I just i think that wick is just gonna mow through scars guards oh, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be his only way out of all of this yeah, which of, I, of course he's not gonna i actually i don't out. even honestly remember the storyline at this point it's like where we're <laughs> at but it feels like there's a formula that we've got here mm. and you know someone's gonna be the final boss um and i don't know i just feel like it's not yet but we'll see I love that, you know, Bill Skarsgård is getting so much work recently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's got, a, you know, a wide range as an actor. So um, I was kind of taken aback by the accent. Uh, but you know what? Go for it, man. 
you know, do you. <laughs> you know, I, I thought it worked well, though. Mm. You know, some people some people were kind of, I don't know, taken aback by it, but I don't know. I feel like a role like this will be a walk in the park for Bill Skarsgård. So. Yeah, just sit there and look cool, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> do your villainous smirk and you'll be fine, right? I'm wondering, too, if we'll have some, like, dangling storylines that will kind of, like, transition and lead into, like, you know, the two spinoff projects that we know that are coming mm-hmm. because we know we're getting a series about the continental and then we're also getting the ballerina film mm-hmm. so and it looks like you know wick is once again visiting his like family um you know since apparently they sit at the table too uh what exactly that means since he is kind of the black sheep of the family uh we'll have to wait and see i i've seen enough fast and furious to know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I have to go back and rewatch the films because it's been a minute, uh, but I totally don't remember where we left off at the end of the third film. I believe Winston, like... Betrayed uh, him, but, like, right? But but then didn't betray him, and it was kind of going against the rules, so everyone came down on the Continental. Yes, because he was about to lose the Continental, Uh, and then at the end, like, when push came to shove, Winston seemingly chose the Continental over Wick, but... You know, or the, or the table over Wick. But obviously from this trailer, their relationship must have been restored somehow. Or they might they must have made amends. <laughs> There's only one way to find out, and that's to see this movie on March 24th, 2023. I'm looking forward to it, Christian. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and break down episode 10 of Andor. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Star Wars Andor ahead. You have been warned. Sit up! We are done with counting shifts. There is only then and now. There is only one way out. Play it how you want. But I'm gonna assume I'm already dead and take it from there. There's no sense in warning the night shift. They'll hear about it one way or another soon enough. Let's make it look good. This week starts only moments after last week's episode as Andor and Kino discover their true fates here on Arkina 5's prison. After a shot of Olaf being carted away, Andor and Kino discuss how they need to strike as soon as possible. Kino is hesitant as you know the whirlwind of emotions hits him over and over, while Andor you know tries to break through and make Kino realize that if they're gonna do this, they gotta do it the next day, while the guards are still shaken up from the events on level two. Yeah, you know, I, I I gotta say, like at first I was a little taken aback that you know Kino still had his reservations. But, you know, as the episode goes on, um, you know, we discover why. Andor really doesn't give Kino much time to think as when they return to their bedding area, um, Andor attempts to get Kino to tell everyone what happened on level two. When Kino doesn't, Andor just breaks the news himself, of course, riling up all of his fellow prisoners. It isn't until Kino's voice really breaks through the crowd that everyone stops and listens as he exclaims, no one is getting out. Yeah, this was the major turning point point and it really goes to show like how much weight Kino carries you know with his crew and Andor knew it he had to get Kino on board 
to help rally yes. the troops, you know, for this to even, you know, have a hope of actually succeeding. On the morning of the escape, Kino rallies the men, telling them to keep their shit together and do what they must, as there's really only one way out. And it's definitely not through doing service for the Empire. Section 5 makes their way to the floor, per usual, as a new man is apparently coming that day, with each doing their normal tasks as Andor goes to the bathroom to break open the pipe that we had seen him trying to weaken in the previous week's episode. This was definitely a plan that Andor has been really like scheming since uh -huh. day one of being in the prison. Like you could tell like he's been going over this in his head for however long he's been there at this point. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you remember, but like when he first entered, you know, the floor uh, for the first time, you could tell like he was literally just like noting their routine and how like they tr they transition like prisoners you know into like the workforce um mm -hmm. so i mean it's it's cool to see all that like finally like pay off and come into play and honestly he's pretty lucky that the guards don't really pay too much attention to what they're doing on that floor it seems yeah i agree because i mean it goes back to what andor's kind of telling kino during this episode that their power is all just an illusion like mm -hmm. they're severely undermanned when it comes to like you know compared to the like the prison population uh i think he said something like they're like five thousand strong or something like that where there's only what like a, you know you know maybe a hundred guards total controlling the entire facility so yeah i mean you would think that the empire you know would have you know a lot more security <laughs> Yes. Uh, running this place, but it really goes back to what they were saying in the beginning of the series that, you know, the Empire has become, you know, fat and arrogant because they can't just like fathom anyone like standing up and challenging them at this point. We watch as a new prisoner gets slowly introduced in the same fashion as Andor was, but this time the men there are all secretly gearing up at their stations for the assault. Meanwhile, Andor struggles to finally burst open this pipe, only doing so as the new prisoner begins to be lowered in. Suddenly, two of the men at Andor's workstation begin a brawl to distract the guards, giving Andor an opening to jam a work pipe into the lift, signaling the start of their escape as everyone else starts to throw things at the guards. I thought the guards were going to notice that, like, Andor was, like, soaking fucking wet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how is he going to hide the fact? Like, he doesn't even bother, like, going behind any of the other prisoners, <laughs> trying not to call, like, any attention to him. Uh, but, yeah, no, whatever. It is what it how is. How is there not an alert for, like, when a pipe bursts in this place? Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hydro, like, dam-controlled place. You'd think that would be a big deal. Yes, yes. There's water <laughs> on the floor, you know, especially uh -huh. since they're dealing with the floor that uh or a security system that has to do with electricity uh yes. yeah any kind of leak would be an issue a major issue <laughs> when the guards attempt to electrify the floor the water that had been slowly seeping into the room causes the system on section five to short circuit andor is eventually able to get up to one of the guards and steal his blaster which gives everyone a chance to actually start climbing up and begin rampaging through the prison going to each section and giving them ways to climb up out of their workstations with the continued use of one way out to rally the men trapped here. 
Kino and Andor then split off to make their way up to floor 8 where the control booth is for the entire prison. After killing one of the engineers, the other two are quick to fold to the men with guns telling them to cut the power, showing just how feeble and powerless the Empire was all this time at this facility. I just love that the person behind, you know, that, you know, loud, deep foreboding voice that, you know, uh -huh. the prisoners had to hear every day, you know, striking fear in their hearts is this total, like, you know, dweeb of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Very Wizard of Oz. Yes, who's like literally <laughs> shaking in the presence of Andor in a blaster. So I, I thought that was hilarious. Now with access to the comms, Andor recognizes the only one who can really tell these prisoners that they are free is Kino, who struggles for a moment to find the right words. But with Andor's help, he, he rallies every unaware prisoner and tells them of the events unfolding and pushes them to finally escape after unlatching every single door in the facility. Yeah, this was the first, like, Emmy-worthy monologue that we got in this episode. Andy Serkis just can do no wrong in my book. Um, he's just simply amazing in, like, what, like a short, like, three-episode arc for this season. Like, mm. we've just, I mean, he's brought so much to the table. I, I, there just can't be enough said about his performance. Like, he needs to get more and more roles. Like, you know, where he's just playing himself. Because <laughs> he's an amazing actor. And we've always known that, um, you know, seeing what he's been able to do behind, like, mocap. But, I mean, this shows you that, you know, there's no reason. You know, it's not just the mocap and the technology that, you know, is fueling that, you know, his talent. It's, you know, it's all starts with the man. Because, I mean, even with those types of roles, you usually have to do a lot of emoting to get, mm -hmm. you know, your point across with those types of CG characters. Well, here he's, you know, just this monologue alone. You're watching him do these very subtle emotions as he builds yes. up to like, you know, rallying all the people yes I, I said it before like he was fantastic as alfred like I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's just i mean he's a great actor so i mean look how different you know all the roles he's taken have been you know from alfred to uh claw in black panther uh and in claw he was like when he was playing claw he was literally stealing you know scenes and mm -hmm. that was going up against like killmonger you know, so, I mean, that, that's all you need to know when it comes to, like, his talent. All the inmates begin, you know, flooding the entire prison as the guards hide in fear, giving them free roam of the entire facility. But as the phrase they're chanting goes, there's really only one way out, and it's a jump into the ocean. Unfortunately, the fate of Kino is left up in the air, as when Kino and Andor make it to the exit, Kino hesitates to jump in because he doesn't know how to swim. Before Andor can, you know, try and figure something out, he and his future Rebel pals get pushed out of the prison due to the crowd just rushing out. Yeah, I mean, once again, I mean, Circus is just so fucking amazing. Here. Mm -hmm. Like in three episodes, he goes from being like the ultimate type of like middle management stooge who feels like he's, you know, seemingly selfishly working his crew to the bone as he counts the days to his impending freedom. Uh, you know, not wanting to do anything to like screw things up for you know himself uh you know he goes from that to someone who's literally leading a prison break you know and his own mini rebellion uh and yes like he has andor pushing him but you know he knows it's the right thing to do at the end of the mm. day and he chooses 
you know, to make that ultimate sacrifice um, because he knows that th this is his end. Like, he's not going to survive, um, you know, because he can't swim. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, when he seems hesitant at the beginning of the episode, that has to be what he's kind of like contemplating still. Like, he knows it's the right thing, but he knows that he's dying like that's it's going to be the end of him and you know he's willing to you know make that sacrifice once again you know for his men you know for this you know cause so i just i mean just a masterful performance i mean i will pop if he just shows up on a ship in the last episode or with like little floaties I'm like, uh -huh. <laughs> or he made the a raft out of the corpses uh -huh. of you know his fellow inmates. <laughs> Something horrific. Well, that's fucked up. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I went down, down that road, but he went from caring yes. about his people to then making a raft out of them. Jesus Christ! Like David was really wrong on this guy. <laughs> He's a fucking monster. Back on Ferrix, we catch two people watching in on Mama Marva as we hear from a medical team coming, you know, to check. In on her that she is refusing to take medication and she continues to try and fight the ever-growing imperial presence here. It's clear that Cinta is keeping a close eye for Andor's return but we also see that the ISB is here as we catch a member of Miro's team watching Marva's home as well. And this isn't happening but wouldn't it be awesome if she was totally faking the illness so she could like pull <laughs> off this like you know black ops shit you know, right underneath, you know, the Empire's nose. Like, oh, she's just a feeble old woman. Let's, you know, you know, move her along away from, you know, headquarters while she's like literally like, you know, booby trapping the entire place and opening uh -huh. the gates to the tunnels and shit. Like, I, I, I still feel like she's going to be the one who opens up those tunnels for them somehow. Like, that's going to be like her like last dying action. Um, but I don't know. It'd be fun if she was just playing possum the entire time also. She just goes John Wick on everyone yes. out of nowhere. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm down for it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm I'm afraid she's going to be like strapped with a bomb and running into the place. That like, could also be how her story uh, ends. So I wouldn't put that past, you know, the show either. So and I was actually surprised we didn't get a shot of like Pac hanging in the square. Like I, I was surprised that they didn't want to show that in this. I think that's still to come because um, we didn't see Bix either. So I have a feeling Bix is going to run across his, you know, corpse. Catching up with Mon Mothma, we're introduced to Davo, who kind of feigns being sympathetic to Mon's charitable causes. While he is interested in offering her some help here with her banking situation and being able to keep all of her finances kind of secret from the Empire, the price of working with Davo is a marriage betrayal between Mon Mothma's daughter and his son in a very Game of Thrones moment here. While arranged marriages may be common on Mon Mothma's home world, as that's actually how she met her husband, she refuses at this time to you know, marry her daughter off for this cause. But Davo seems to think that she may come around to the proposal at a later time. Yeah, I mean, what's the line he says? This is the first time you've lied to me the entire meeting or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right after she said, no, I'm not thinking yeah, about it right. at all. <laughs> Um, within literally 10 seconds, you knew this guy was a sleazy scumbag, uh -huh. you know, with this, with this <laughs> stupid jacket. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I mean, I'm glad to see my Mothma is still a good parent, even though her daughter is, you know, an angsty teenager who mm -hmm. looks like she gets nauseous every time. Yo, my Mothma literally walks in the room. Um, <laughs> she's still not willing to, you know, sacrifice her at least yet. I'm just wondering what's it going to take 
for her to get to that place. Like, what's going to happen where she, you know, eventually does, you know, end up choosing to make that sacrifice. Um, you know, but we'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't be surprised if Luthen is the reason she sells her daughter. Like, you think he's able to talk her into it or... Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they do seem to have like kind of a contentious like relationship at this point. So, but maybe he's going to like point to all the sacrifices everyone else has made. Um, mm. But it's got to be. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's got to be like an event, um, not like just some kind of speech to get her to give up her daughter. Well, we do know a big moment is coming up in her life, so that is true. We'll see. Earlier on in the episode, we see that the ISB has gone through with their plan of, you know, attempting to trap a rebel group who is set to attack an Imperial power station. Later on, we find out that Luthen got signaled by a mystery person to meet face to face, which turns out to actually be one of Dedra Miro's fellow ISB agents, Lonnie Young. Meeting in the bowels of Coruscant, Luthen pries at why Lonnie has reached out after it being an entire year since they last made contact. Luthen also, in you know the chance that he is being trapped, lets Lonnie know that he actually has been aware of his wife and kid as a kind of a subtle threat. While Lonnie spills what he does know about Miro and their hunt for codename Axis, Luthen pretends that nothing that they're going for really ties back to his work, even though Aldani was all him. Luthen eventually gets Lonnie to spill why he truly brought them here to this meeting, in which Lonnie claims he wants out of the rebellion, and really just wants to focus now on his family and get out of working for the Empire. Luthen attempts to remind him, you know, of his oath, but Lonnie questions while he's out here, you know, risking his family, what is Luthen risking, in which Luthen explains really the dark side of his position here as he is trying to fight the Empire with their own tools, and how he truly is risking just about everything he has, to little or no praise at all. And unfortunately for Lonnie, the conversation ends with Luthen helping him realize that there is really no escaping what they are doing. There is simply no way out. Yeah, this was the second, you know, award-worthy monologue in this episode. Um, you know, Skarsgård is amazing in this mm -hmm. role. Like, I just love this shit. Like, I did not see, you know, Luth having a mole in the ISB coming, and I, I probably should have. Um, but here we really get to see, like, Luthen as the righteous monster that he really is. Um, he doesn't give a fuck about your feelings. He's willing no. to sacrifice everything and everyone for his cause because he's already sacrificed his soul. And you can tell by this like monologue, he's probably had to make a lot worse decisions to get mm. where they are today, currently in the movement. Like he's cold and calculating because he has to live in that gray area because he knows the true cost of freedom. Like, I mean, really, if you think about it, it's just him and a bunch of small ragtag cells, you know, of rebels that are trying to stand up for an entire galaxy against the Empire, like without a single Jedi, you know, there to help. Like he's single handedly like leading a revolution all by himself and i loved how they played on the fact that like lonnie this character is you know 
at the same time telling you know the ISB to just keep course and do all this tries to go to the other side and tell Luthen mm -hmm. you know hey we we could save these guys and he's like no keep course do what they expect exactly. and it's like oh that's crazy if we he's willing to get rid of them because if we save them then they'll know that we know mm -hmm. that they're on to us so they're they, it would be in a way they'd be you know they'd be showing their hand so I mean it's just the cold nature of what yes. he has to do in his role um, you know, he, like I said, he's that righteous monster. Like he, he's having to do awful things all in the name of good. So I made, mean, you know, he's both the villain and the hero of this story. But I think all in all, this was probably my favorite episode of the series so far. Um, and I can't believe there's only like two episodes left. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see like where we're headed. And I'm glad to know also that we are definitely getting a second season because there's just too much story left to you know you know close things out in you know only two episodes i mean storytelling wise tony gilroy is playing like the long game mm -hmm. um and we're like starting to see all you know his hard work come into like fruition um with just you know amazing episode after amazing episode with only two episodes left i'm really curious to see like where this story ends um you know but i'm also extremely happy that we have a second season to look forward to because it just feels like there's so much story left that it would just be an impossible task to you know tell it all in you know just two more episodes so i mean i don't know this is this is probably one of my favorite things star wars that we've gotten you know since disney's taken over I just love that they're willing to stretch really and, you know, get out of their comfort zone and give us a story like this caliber. Like it's so uniquely different from anything we've gotten uh, in the past, you know, from Star Wars. And I hope that we get more stories like this. Yeah, it'd be real disappointing if there wasn't going to be a second season. Like, thank God that that was already something decided by them because I mean, we haven't even gotten into the sister you know, element, whatever that's you know going to be in the possible next season, hopefully. And I keep on forgetting <laughs> about that because that's uh -huh. that's how they open this season, you know, with, you know, him searching for his sister. And that storyline, like, has been brought up like one time since then. So, I exactly. mean, you're exactly right. Like, there, there's a lot more to like this story that we have even started to get into. It's just been a very enjoyable ride. And I do think more people need to check this out. <laughs> like you said, thank God they already had like a yes. second season in the works. So I don't know, but uh, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode 11 of Andor. All right, Christian. So you saw a film this past week. That's right. I saw weird. The Al Yankovic story. And now our feature presentation tired of people thinking I'm some kind of joke. Your dad and I agreed it would be best if you just stop being who you are and doing the things you love. My whole life, all I wanted. I'm afraid we found your son at a polka party. Just to make up new words to a song that already exists. Oh, well, you should do that then. Ooh, my little hungry one, hungry one, open up a package of my banana. Dude, I've got chills.
This film explores every faucet of Yankovic's life, from his meteoric rise to fame with his early hits like Eat It and Like a Surgeon, to his torrid celebrity love affairs and famously deprived lifestyle. This was written and directed by Eric Appel and stars Daniel Radcliffe. For me, comedies are a genre of film and TV that I usually struggle to get into or, you know, enjoy. However, Having grown up with Weird Al's parodies, I have found this totally accurate depiction of his life a really fun time. This film is the ultimate parody of the great musician biopics we've been you know, getting a lot lately, left and right, you know, as they make fun of the storytelling tropes that are in a lot of these films. And while this movie is far from being a technical masterpiece, it's very aware of what it is in the end. You know, and with that said, it doesn't allow the audience to ever for one second take it too seriously. Because while it is based off a real person, it's definitely playing fast and loose with his, you know, life story. Cast-wise, Daniel Radcliffe continues to do the strangest roles after Harry Potter, but you can't say he doesn't put on a great performance either way. But as far as the rest of the cast, there was plenty of wooden deliveries outside of a few comedians here and there, which really only lent to Radcliffe being a standout in this movie. But I mean, he is the main attraction playing Weird Al, so I mean, that makes sense in the end. Ultimately, I feel like this film, you know, just had Weird Al fans in mind. And if you are one, you'll definitely want to, you know, give this film film a try it's free right now on Roku but outside of the you know Weird Al fandom I can't imagine you know someone picking this up and understanding a lot of the references or getting some of the jokes that are happening um, you know someone who hasn't grown up with or you know ever listened to Weird Al I don't know how much they're really going to enjoy this. It really is just a true blue Weird Al experience and for that I'm going to be giving it a B because it made me laugh. And now a quick word from our sponsor Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're gonna be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NerdShow for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. 
They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right. So make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Well, it's initial reactions time as I started God of War Ragnarok on day one. Having clocked in just under 10 hours of gameplay so far, I can at least report that the game feels as solid as its predecessor. If it's not broken, don't fix it, right? As a story game, I am fully invested on the journey you know, of Kratos and what he's going through with his son. Though I will say I haven't noticed much of a difference in gameplay, you know, since the last one came out. Outside of, you know, PS5's new adaptive feedback and their controllers, having not played any other games made specifically for this function, I was totally surprised when I could actually feel the trigger stop me as I chopped my axe into a tree. It was a pretty badass feature, to me at least. But with that said, you know, not noticing anything new necessarily isn't a bad thing. I mean, the last game was fantastic and you're really here for the story. It's what you're invested in. So for now, I'm super optimistic on the future of this game, and I'm going to be playing through it continuously on Twitch. So definitely join us on Twitch when you get an opportunity. Um, you can catch the start of my playthrough right now in our VODs. I also recently just finished Horizon Zero Dawn, so I look forward to starting the sequel in the near future. Speaking of sequels, Remedy has confirmed that there will be a Control 2 after the success and award-winning praise of the first Control. The studio teased the game will have a much larger budget this time around and will be available on current-gen consoles and PC. Though this isn't the only Control experience coming out, as we do know there is still a planned co-op spinoff in the works but there's no new news on that just yet. And lastly, for Gears of War fans, a Netflix film and animated adult series are in the works. While live action adaptations have been hit or miss for Netflix, especially when it comes to games and anime, a Gears of War film feels like a no-brainer. It's believed right now that Microsoft is trying to get more in the film game after Sony's you know, recent productions of Uncharted, Last of Us, and an upcoming you know, Horizon film. While Halo was a dud for me, with the right team, a you know, Gears of War film could really launch an action-packed franchise. Though honestly, if you were asking me, I would rather there be a Gears of War you know, live-action series rather than film. I think there's a lot more you could do with longer form storytelling in that universe. But again, the reason I think that this would make such an easy film is because a lot of our characters' motivations in the game are pretty, you know, standard. I wouldn't say the story gets too wild outside of, you know, the realm of, you know, believability. And while it does have some crazy shit going on, at the end of the day, it's meatheads fucking chopping through some monsters throughout the entire game. So it shouldn't be too hard to translate that over to a film. But with that said, I am just hoping for the best moving forward with this you know, news. We'll talk more once a trailer finally drops. You know, I'm just personally waiting for that truly great video game movie or series. Uh, I feel like Last of Us has the potential to do that, but we'll see when that comes out uh, next year. Anyway, make sure to catch more video game goodness on our Twitch channel where we play the games we talk about right here on the show. As mentioned, I'm playing God of War throughout this weekend with plans to start Horizon Forbidden West in the near future. Plus, there are a ton of games coming out soon, like, you know, Callisto Protocol that are on my most anticipated, you know, games 
list for this year. So I'm excited to dive right into these games along with you guys on Twitch every single Saturday through Tuesday. So make sure you're following us and you know possibly subscribe. Anyway, let's move on over to wrestling. MJF calls himself the devil. Dude, I have seen the devil. I have met the devil. I have looked into his eyes. I have met some very bad people, been some very bad places, seen some bad people do some very bad things. And dude, you are not that. You are not that at all. All right, Christian, it was another eventful AEW Dynamite. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Yeah, we're starting off with an AEW tag team match between the acclaimed uh, with FTR going up against uh, the Guns and Swerve in our glory uh, with FTR and uh, the acclaimed winning. Yeah, even though this had a lot of moving parts, I thought this was a fun match overall. Um, laid a lot of groundwork for, you know, both of their upcoming feuds. Um, I guess I shouldn't say upcoming feuds because it feels like the acclaimed and, you know, Swerve to our glory have been feuding for about like three or four months at this point. Uh, uh, do you think FTR and the guns get a pay-per-view match? That's I mean, it feels like they've been building up to that and I don't see any reason why they shouldn't do it. Yeah, it's going to be a stacked card. Um, yeah, I mean, good for the guns. They've been working their asses off, mm -hmm. so they deserve to at least make an appearance on pay-per-view i mean at least for like the ring of honor title unless they want to save that for their next ring of honor you know event that's a good point i was kind of assuming that it would be gates of agony uh at the ring of honor pay-per-view but i think they already had a, a title match with ftr so hmm. maybe not uh i don't know man it, it feels weird for the guns to be a ring of honor show honestly uh not that they're not worthy but i don't know i always consider that like the workers company so i mean the guns definitely aren't a workers tag team you know nothing against them but like right now they're 100 percent all charisma um and, and they'll eventually get there you know uh, if they keep on doing what they're doing i mean colton has only been wrestling for like a year or two which is pretty amazing so um, they definitely have all the potential in the world. But yeah, no, uh, I, 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 you got to have FTR on your pay-per-view. So I'm assuming it's going to be at full gear. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this was a fine match. I'm still predicting that Keith Lee ends up turning heel here and like siding with Swerve. Uh, and that way they can, you know, walk away with the titles at the pay-per-view. Um so, and that way it'll be FTR chasing after a heel tag team instead of, you know, dethroning a beloved, the acclaimed, right? Because, I mean, you want them, like, you know, finally, like, you know, getting to the top of the mountain in the AEW um, against a heel, you know, a heel team. So, because I feel like that's going to be a huge moment. I mean, they've been there before, but like them having the AEW titles along with everyone else's tag titles. Yeah, I was, you know, certain that they were about to drop the IWGP tag titles uh, over this past weekend. Yeah, and since they did walk away with their belts still, um, it sounds like they're like a shoe in to make an appearance at Wrestle Kingdom and face off against whoever wins the, uh, the uh, tag league tournament. I mean, I do still hope that they're able to hold on to the titles so that maybe they can hold every single belt at once, you know, at, at least one at one time. But who knows if they can survive till 
after full gear, you know, everything. I think they could. I mean, it's not set in stone that you have to drop your titles at Wrestle Kingdom. So, um, and I, I feel like their destiny is to put that cherry on the top, um, you know, with the AEW belts, you know, being like the, the belt collectors, you know, the modern yes. day belt collectors with those tag titles. I mean, God knows they deserve it this year. I haven't watched it yet, but supposedly they had a, like a banger with Aussie Open. After that, we had a video of MJF on the uh, Pardon My Take radio show, pretty much talking about how he's going to become the next AEW world champion. Yeah, I mean, newsflash, this was a great promo. I mean, no big surprise, really, right? Uh, you know, he also addressed uh, the firm and their beatdown. Uh, he mentioned that his doctor has ordered him not to travel until the pay-per-view. Uh, the fact that he's not going to be on AEW TV until you know you know the pay-per-view makes me feel like this is all just elaborate ploy to get moxley's mm-hmm. defenses down um because if you think about it it gives you an out so you don't have to have that confrontation between mjf and the firm right because otherwise if he's on the show why isn't he attacking the firm or why isn't he like challenging them to some kind of match um so i mean having the doctor make him stay home is just the perfect out uh i don't know but it's fine either way um because i don't know if i really want to see a baby face mjf i mean we'll get into it more a little bit later on but i i feel like it'll definitely play into uh, moxley's comments on him being the devil like i feel like he'll utilize either the firm or something to really attack them and have this devilish persona personified yeah i'm wondering if it's going to be a situation once again you know i talked about this last week um where the firm comes out moxley's ready for them but then he turns around and he's not ready for the real big swerve which is regal turning Mm -hmm. on him you know and regal with you know the brass knucks or you know, MJF's diamond ring knocks out Moxley and costs him the match and the championship. These are all great big twists, but there's always the chance that it's going to be cut and dry. <laughs> well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, disclaimer, I don't have a crystal ball, Christian. <laughs> That's what the show is. We're supposed to speculate. I know. Speaking of the firm, we had another promo from Stokely Hathaway about growing up with MJF. And not having a license to ride dick. <laughs> you, left, I guess. you left out the headline. <laughs> I, I kept it out. I apologize. <laughs> I was like, what did he just say? Can you say that on TV? <laughs> um, yeah, once again, like this just felt like them trying to pull the wool over our eyes, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I understand it was a fire probe and everything, but I felt like it was almost like too heavy handed. Um is like okay well i feel like this is all just to kind of set up the fact that you know he really is working with mjf still and at the same time like reminding the audience that he does have this like prior relationship with mjf like adding that layer in well up next we had ethan page defeating eddie kingston to advance in the title eliminator tournament you know if this was like two months ago i'd say this would be a big upset but with seeing how they've been booking Ethan Page recently, he's been getting a lot more camera time. Mm-hmm. I felt like this was just, you know, a guaranteed, um, especially since, I mean, God, I feel like we haven't seen Kingston in weeks. Like he's been making appearances on Dark, 
but he's working this like anger management like angle. So I kind of assumed that that was going to come into play um, here in the match, but it didn't really happen that way. Right. It was more just kind of due to Stokely's interference, you know, distracting the ref at the right time. And then Paige hit that huge ego's edge off the uh, top rope, which was amazing. Um, I was worried, though, that he like actually screwed up his shoulder in doing so because he was kind of grabbing at it at the end. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm happy for Paige. I mean, Eddie will be fine with the loss, um, you know, and this could end up leading into like, you know, a program between those two, you know, later on down the line. Because I, th- mm-hmm. I liked that before this match, we had a nice little video package explaining their history together. So I, I got to give them props because, I mean, that's something that we haven't always gotten in the past from AEW. But anyway, with that being said, um, like looking at the bracket, like I feel like Ethan Page might walk away with you know winning the tournament um and getting that title shot that's supposed to happen at winter's coming yes okay it ends at winter is coming now but does that change your opinion of you know mjf and the firm if ethan page comes out the winner it does that's a good point um i think i said this last week uh, you know maybe it's a case of max outsmarting everyone and that, you know, it's not the firm that he's working with, and they're totally, you know, out of the loop here, but it's actually, you know, Regal. So he would still technically have an issue with the firm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, he knew that they were probably going to jump him and that he was antagonizing them on purpose just to kind of throw Moxley off of his scent, off of, you know, his and Regal's scent. So, I mean, it's 3D chess, but I wouldn't put it past, you know, MJF. Or I could just be booking out of my ass, which is probably the case. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, I feel like the best match out of this bracket is probably Ethan Page versus Ricky Starks at full gear, right? Yeah. As your final. But we do see later on in the show that they do kind of an injury angle with Ricky Starks. They had uh, Lance Archer uh, jump him in the back. So, and yes, it, and I was like, oh, there's Lance Archer. Yeah. <laughs> he, you know what? I've been watching Dark over the past, like, like month or two. Just kind of uh, having it on the background and everything. I got to say, like, Dark has gotten better as a whole as a show. And I don't know if it's because they're doing live rampages. So they're trying to get more, like, big names on that show. And we're getting more, like, you know upper mid card guy against like lower mid card guy. So it's not all like squash matches, mm. but Lance Archer has been featured, you know, on that show. So, I mean, it's a lot of wrestling to watch, <laughs> but if you do your due diligence, you will see him there, but you shouldn't have to. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll give Tony Khan some credit because he is like trying to service this giant roster, which uh-huh. has to be exhausting, but it's a problem of his own doing. Right. Um, but yeah, no, Dark has been enjoyable lately. I, I recommend checking out if you do have some time, you know, in your busy like TV watching schedule, especially as a wrestling fan. But anyway, enough plugging Dark. Starks, like he's been off of TV until recently on Rampage where he announced mm-hmm. himself for this tournament. Um, and it's just so weird that it's been, you know, he had that big win, win against Hobbs. And then we just haven't seen him. Like, he's been radio silent. So I'm wondering if he's actually injured or something else is going mm, on. Where maybe. He, he can't make the pay-per-view. And this is their way of, like, he's still here, but, you know, we're kind of writing him off storyline-wise for a little bit until whatever's going on is cleared up. 
But who knows? I mean, they're literally recording Rampage after Dynamite this week. Uh, you know, they're, I guess their little live Rampage loop is over with. Uh, so we'll find out if Starks actually wrestles that match, um, you know, on Friday. Speaking of the Eliminator Tournament, we had um, Jose the Assistant come out with Roosh to talk with Renee in the back about, uh, you know, something he wanted to do with 10. He wants to specifically give He's him an opportunity. Him. <laughs> yes. Very weird. You know, him and Andrade's, like, fascination with 10. I don't get it. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. He called. Uh, he did get. John Silver called him a Roosh bag which I thought yeah. was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got out of this segment. Whatever. Up next, we had a match between Wardlow and Ari Davari for the TNT title. Before the match, Ari Davari tried to buy off Wardlow with uh, his services of the uh, uh, fucking butler, right? <laughs> I guess. I mean, there's a lot of like weird like human trafficking shit going on. On yeah, the show, what it the seems fuck? Like. <laughs> a lot of people try to buy human beings. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Like, does that mean like so? Wardlow wins, obviously. Spoilers. Yes. But does that mean the butler's free to go, or the butler's supposed to be Wardlow's now? I don't know because he did technically accept the money and the butler at first. Was this match announced prior to the show? I don't believe so. I think it was just like a, this is an open challenge okay. deal. All right, whatever. All right. Anyway, <laughs> this all wasn't important. It's what happens afterwards, right? Yes. You know, we have, you know, after the match, we we have Powerhouse Hobbs come out, you know. I do believe they announced the Wardlow and Hobbs match already for full gear. Um, but like the last couple Rampages, we've had Hobbs, you know, jumping Wardlow. But regardless, uh, while Wardlow is cutting a heated promo on Hobbs, he mentions something about getting everyone's title or taking everyone's belt in AEW. Uh, Joe looks at his title and then jumps Wardlow and he ends up choking him out. Um, now, they did like set this up on Rampage. Um, so this wasn't a huge surprise uh, in an interview segment. Wardlow kind of cut off Joe um, and like you could see like Joe subtly get annoyed. Um, and then at the end of Rampage, we had Hobbs come out once again and um, Wardlow pushes Joe out of the way to mm -hmm. confront Hobbs. And, you know, Joe is so great. Like all this like, you know, facials and his mannerisms you could tell right away like he's annoyed and he's about to snap but then he like slowly composes himself you know um so that i don't know like i i could definitely you know read the tea leaves here like you know a turn was happening sooner than later um i mean at the end of the day it just makes sense i'm guessing they're going to add joe to the pay-per-view match um and that way you kind of protect wardlow he doesn't necessarily have to take the fall to lose that belt um mm -hmm. you know you could have you know either hobbs pin joe to win you know the T tnt title or you know vice versa you know you have joe pin hobbs um you know or you know he doesn't get added to the match maybe joe does something you know during the match to distract wardlow and you know that ends up costing the title and then you have wardlow versus joe at the next uh, ring of honor pay-per-view 
you know, for Joe's, you know, U.S. title. Which I think is the way that they should go. Like, even if it, if, it, if he's added or not, I feel like it should be Joe versus Wardlow at the Ring of Honor, you know, event. Yeah, I mean, and that could still happen even if he is added to full gear, to the full gear match. Like, if mm. Joe's in, like, all of a sudden it becomes a three-way and he's in that match, you know, you could have Joe, you know, beat Hobbs to walk away with, you know, both belts and then have Wardlow challenge Joe at Ring of Honor. Now, I don't want to see that happen just because I want to see Hobbs, you know, get his just uh-huh. due and perhaps get a TNT title run here. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of more in favor of doing it almost the WWE way, if you think about it, protecting the champion, have Hobbs win that belt by beating Joe. Um, but then, you know, you have, you know, this match, you know, between Wardlow and Joe still happening um, at Ring of Honor. So which would set up a match between Joe and Hobbs in the future as well. Yes. You know, if he does get the pin over him. I mean, either way, you know, whatever direction they choose to go in, we're going to see a bunch of meaty monsters going at it. So I'm all for it. After this, we got another segment with Renee talking with Jade Cargill and the baddies about an official full gear match with Nyla Rose for the TBS title. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I feel like this is going to end up being the buy-in. Um yeah, probably. And deservingly so. Like this isn't the greatest angle in the world. Um I was hoping this would catapult Myla into more of like the spotlight, but that doesn't feel like it's really happening. It's it's not her fault. I feel like it's just more of a case of I don't know, some lame booking. I do like that they put, you know, TBS champion in quotes above Nyla's name now. Sure. I think that's fun. It's like, why is this even a thing? <laughs> it's like, if you want to still work here, you hand over the belts. Like, <laughs> So uh, it's such a wrestling trope, but whatever. Uh, up next, we had Dr. Britt Baker and Soraya's face to face with Tony Schiavone in the ring. So let me start things off by saying, like, I thought both of them did a fantastic job you know, with their back and forth. Um, you know, I mean, Brit's amazing on the mic and Soraya really rebounded after, you know, having an off night a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I wasn't the biggest fan of this. And it's more on Brit's end that I'm taking issue with. Like, I, I don't feel like, you know, she's, coming off as a true heel and it's it, it's an issue i've had with her in the past where she plays to the crowd way too much like she didn't really need to play the aw original card here like that's not going to help soraya at all in this match mm-hmm. like the story here is supposed to be all about soraya's big return her huge comeback match so like i don't need brit trying to get over with the crowd you know because i feel like it takes away from your baby face right because you're gonna have you know this mixed response because like playing that you know original card that AEW original card and talking about how you know you're the foundation that the women's division's been built on and blah 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 is only gonna like you know get over with the crowd more and it's going to turn maybe a small percentage, but a percentage of the crowd against Soraya. And, like, that's not the point of the story, right? Like, Brit exactly. is supposed to be the heel. 
Like this mm-hmm. kind of is burying your baby face. Now, sorry, she's going to be fine at the end of the day. But like, why do this? Like, I feel like Brit needs to be a true heel in this program. And that's not how she came across tonight. Um, so I thought that was unfortunate. Now, Soraya's rebuttal was fantastic. Super emotional and everything like that. Um, you know, really telling her story. Um, but I, I still felt like the crowd response after Brit's promo and even after Soraya's great, you know, rebuttal was kind of like, like tepid because of the way Brit had to remind everyone of her resume. It just felt like Brit was more concerned about being over than, you know, doing her job as a heel. And I'm not usually that grumpy old wrestling fan <laughs> where I need like good guys and bad guys. Like I, I, I'm fine with shades of gray, but I didn't feel like this was the right time and place for it. But on top of that, it's a promo that we see her do like every single feud she's in at this point. And that's what's starting to get to me. It's just like, we know what the result is going to be. It, it was, you're, you're right. The, the crowd's reaction to Soraya afterwards, it was like, honestly, audible confusion mm-hmm. <laughs> from the crowd. Cause they, they want to cheer, but at the same time she said, yeah, I was a superstar. And that immediately gets her booed because Britt Baker just threw that at her. Yes. You know, an it's, yes, exactly. So I, I don't know. It, it was, it was good, but at the same time, it didn't work for what they're trying yeah, to do. Yeah, like, I don't need this, like, gatekeeping, you know, bullshit from, uh-huh. like, the wrestlers. Like, the fans do it enough. And I get it. Like, it was a way for Soraya to also then turn around and remind everyone of her resume. But you still have those hardcore AEW fans, and I count myself as one of those who, like, they want to cheer anything like AEW original. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or any one AEW original, I should say. So, I mean, I don't know. It's like playing with fire and the, it's just unnecessary. Like there's no reason why Brick couldn't just stand there and just cut a true heel promo on her, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, Brit's a fantastic wrestler and she's amazing on the mic. And this was an amazing promo. I just felt like mm. it was the wrong promo at the wrong time. Well, up next, we had the weirdest segment of the night as Sanjay Dutch, Jay Lethal, Sanam Singh talked with QT Marshall, pretty much paying for uh, Cole Carter's services. And then the best friends uh, showed up. So this is actually the second time we're watching Dark actually paid off during this dynamite. Uh, this all stems from Danhausen losing to QT on Halloween uh, during dark lee johnson turned heel and you know rejoined the factory so that was the reason for this interaction but if you don't watch dark you wouldn't know that <laughs> and i don't i don't remember if the announcers brought that up at all during the segment but you know i i just i wish they would do like a 30 second highlight reel for dark every week on dynamite like it would solve so many problems Mm-hmm. You know, all that's all you knew you need, like 30 seconds. Like it, it just I mean, I know like the show's already like so packed, but it wouldn't hurt anything. It would plug, you know, the YouTube show and like fill in the blanks for a lot of like the audience. No, it's definitely something they could pull like right after a commercial break yeah. before going to another match. Exactly. Something they could do. Especially if you're featuring, you know, fan favorites like Danhausen. Mm-hmm. 
And that way, like, it wouldn't feel like some of these wrestlers just drop off the face of the earth when they're not on dynamite for like a month. Right. Because we've seen that happen multiple times at this point. By the way, so this was all just to kind of set up Orange Cassidy against Lee Johnson. Cassidy said something to Lee about, you know, you know, him messing with his friends or something like that. He mumbled something. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing a mumble. But yeah. Uh, it, Lee then challenged him to the match. And before Lee could even get the words out, Cassidy just accepted. So in a yes. weird way, <laughs> the laziest wrestler in the promotion is like a fighting champion. <laughs> so because he just keeps on taking all these matches like he's, uh-huh. he's he's defended that belt. I feel like every week since he's had it. I mean, it's been more times than Wardlow. That's for sure. <laughs> that's true. Also, if you, if you haven't seen it yet, because I know not everyone watches Rampage uh, just by the ratings, but uh, check out Shibata versus Cassidy. It was a pretty damn good match. Um, you could tell at first that Orange was a little timid about, you know, hitting Shibata, but he got over that quickly after Shibata laid into him a couple times. So, but yeah, just a fun, surreal match that featured Mike Tyson on commentary. And he wasn't half bad. Anyway, then we got a weird hard cut with Trent Beretta and Chucky e. T uh, you know, just deciding to confront Jay Lethal and say we're having a match. Yeah, like there was like t- a time jump. There was like no segue whatsoever. It was no. really weird. <laughs> it was like maybe like a couple minutes later, I guess. <laughs> it was just I was like, why weren't they there from the get go and have that challenge happen? It was just very odd booking. But sure, it seems like of late, like Tony's in this mode of having to explain a reason for every single one of the matches happening on Mm -hmm. the card. And you don't need that. Like the match could just happen because you booked it. Like, that's fine. You could have a match for a match sake. You don't need a story behind each match. Especially when you just had other like members of the teams interact. I mean, it makes sense for like, Oh, the next segment is them having a match. You know, it's fine. In fact, is what happened when Jay lethal defeated Trent Beretta. And before we get into the match, I just want to say Tony Schiavone, went full heel out yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, so, like, before the match started, as Trent was, you know, walking down the ramp, uh, Jay Lethal jumps him, takes him out at the knee, and, like, Tony is just overcome with joy. And he's like, I don't know why more wrestlers don't do this. It just makes sense. I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> this is the same guy just weeks earlier who was, like, berating jericho for cheating constantly it was like yeah tony how's that not cheating like it makes no <laughs> sense <laughs> you can't jump your opponent before the bell rings that's cheating <laughs> it was really bizarre i don't know i was very confused but anyway like you said uh lethal ends up going over here uh afterwards uh we have jeff jarrett make an appearance uh, kind of explaining why he's joined up with Jay and uh, Sanjay, um, you know, just bringing up their you know prior history together uh, in Impact. Uh, Jarrett takes a couple shots at the WWE, uh, calling out Strowman basically when talking about uh, Satnam. Uh, he says something about his tight pants, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fuck Strowman, whatever. He's an asshole. Um, <laughs> you saw the shit on Twitter this week. No, oh, not this week. God. What happened now? So I I guess he had a match that he thought was good at Crown Jewel, 
against uh, the other giant in WWE. Uh, almost. Almost. Yes. Almost. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, and he was feeling so high on himself that afterwards he decided to tweet um, throwing shade at, you know, uh, smaller wrestlers and just, you know, praising him and almost for reminding the wrestling world what like real wrestlers are supposed to look like or something stupid like that. Like he did like, you know, hashtag airport test and bullshit like that. Um, you know, and of course the wrestling world all jumped on him right away, (laughs) including like WWE guys, you know, Mm. um, he was calling them like flippy flippity floppers or something stupid. So just Strowman being Strowman, right. Um, you know, nothing really new. So I'm guessing that's where, this shot like you know originated from but then like jared like seemingly took a shot at triple h too said something about like banana nose led circus so yeah yeah. (laughs) it's like okay i guess i mean triple h did just fire jared so maybe there's some heat there i don't know or he just knew that would stir the pot you know, with the wrestling world, so whatever. Um, overall, I didn't really like this segment. It didn't do much for me. Um, it just kind of set up the match between uh, Jay Lethal and Jarrett versus uh, Sting and Darby, which is fine. But did it? But did it? Because they barely even mentioned Sting in this promo. He just yeah, gets cut off. Yeah, you know off. what? You're right. Because <laughs> later on in the show, Shivani mentioned it. Like, yes. right? He, he announces that match. Um... Yeah, and the, it was weird, too, because it seemed like Jarrett was going to attack one of the uh, stage crew at the end of the segment because mm-hmm. he was, like, trying to wrap him up. And I don't know if that was – maybe that was legit because I was like, then he didn't attack him. <laughs> like, maybe he was running out of time and, like, Jarrett called an audible or something. It was weird, right? I feel like then they I just, feel like, like they wouldn't have shown him if it him was, down wasn't the legit. <laughs> Right? Because I was like, why uh, wouldn't they have a guitar shot there? Because like once exactly. they showed the station, it was like, oh, he's about to, you know, hit him with the guitar. And then that just didn't even happen. So it was a little bizarre. So I don't know. Maybe they ran short of time. I, I have no clue. Either way, I was just confused by the whole promo just yes. because he's, you know, bringing up like, you know, the purpose he's supposed to like why he's supposed to be there. And I'm like, well, I thought you were here because of uh darby because you you were his you know weakness you know his weaknesses yes. and shit and you're there to help sanjay the destroy him yes i thought well, that was the whole yeah, point yeah and that <laughs> yeah it was weird i mean Jarrett usually has better poise than that um but this just felt like some really like disjointed like exposition for exposition's sake after this, Renee interviewed Jungle Boy backstage, um, which he says he has a challenge for Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Sure. Um, they're going to do a face to face probably next week, but I don't. What, what I could think possibly it's actually on. Challenge? I think it's on Rampage actually. Oh, it's on Rampage. Yeah. Yes, it is actually on Rampage. Yeah. So I don't. I guess we'll find out on Friday. The promos don't stop as John Moxley made his uh, 25 minute entrance um, <laughs> and proceeded to tell us off about MJF. Um, I liked the promo. I was fine with the promo, but yeah, the entrance yeah. is a bit long. I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I 
I thought this was a great promo. I mean, Moxley reminded us why he is one of the best on the mic right now and why he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, I loved the devil line. I think you brought it up earlier where, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, you know, doing his typical, like, you know, John Moxley promo, but then he like drops his voice down to a different level and gets into the camera and like, is talking directly to us about like actually knowing the devil and seeing the devil and how MJF is not that. So I I thought that was really well done. Um, but I'm not I love the crowd yelling uh, Vince McMahon <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hear that <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right I mean Moxley does know the devil uh, <laughs> uh, but I just love it when Moxley goes into another gear that you're not expecting mm. you know it felt very like Jake the Snake like the way he kind of you know all of a sudden like almost at a whisper, you know, started to like give us that monologue about, you know, the devil and everything like that. Um, he's really on a next level when it comes to like being on the mic. And it's because you believe everything he says. Um, you know, not many wrestlers have that quality where they, like there's like this authenticity with Moxley um, because, you know, he's lived, you know, a hard life. So Mm -hmm. you truly believe, you know, everything he's telling you. After this, we got another hint of when the elite may return, as we saw a bunch of more, you know, footage of them kind of being deleted uh, over the, you know, time that they've had here at AEW. But then we started to see a whole lot of full gear designs. Yeah, it was basically uh, them superimposed on all the, you know, full gear graphics that we've been seeing in Mm -hmm. all the advertising. So um, I would have much, if like, if it's, going to be them just showing up on full gear as like you know a pseudo surprise then i i could have done without you know this segment honestly um now if it's a case of them like showing up next week and you know making a challenge to death triangle then that's fine but like just keep it a surprise if it's just like an appearance at full gear because otherwise people i feel like are going to be disappointed you know, when they're just going to be out there, you know, cutting a promo or whatever. Exactly. I mean, it might be an amazing promo. Who knows? But it's it's not going to be as it's enticing weird. as a match. I, I, just, I feel like they're healing like AEW way too much. Like, you know, the promotion way too much. It feels like that's where they're going to go, you know, with the storyline. You know, you're seeing them being deleted from, you know, the history of AEW. So it feels like they're going to have a chip on the shoulder and they're going to be, you know, their their beef is going to be with AEW. I mean, we had Soraya tonight talk about how, like, Tony Khan is, like, playing favorites towards Britt Baker. Um, on a Rampage, you had Ricky Starks uh, attack the pillars and say, well, why does it matter if you're a pillar of this company if everything's crumbling around you? Uh-huh. I was like, well, why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to paint the company you're working for in that kind of light? Uh, it just feels really bizarre to me. This doesn't like I don't know if he's just playing off of like, you know, the the management is evil ways that WWE has done in the past. But it doesn't work when Tony Khan isn't that kind of character yeah. the way that Vince McMahon. was. Well, yeah, he's not an on screen character. He's yeah. not the final boss. So like you're not going to like there's no payoff. To this mm-hmm. except you know except for diminishing like the way your fans feel about the company 
right? Because Tony's not coming out and wrestling a match, right? And there's no like heel authority figure. At least we hope not, you know. Gosh, <laughs> God, we hope not. Uh, I mean, the one thing that makes AEW fans so rabid is because they're a fan of the promotion as a whole. You know, it's like that underground story, that grassroots promotion that like they've mm-hmm. all gotten to watch from day one grow. Um, you know, we've you can literally track its formation, you know, so like everyone's been on this journey. So it's, you know, you're a fan of the entire product. I mean, most AEW fans are like you don't go to WWE show and hear fans chanting WWE wwe right like you never hear that that's not a chant you know you hear those kind of chants with promotions like AEW, you know or like ecw in the past so it's weird to have your baby faces come out and point out all your you know flaws as a promotion like it it just doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me like it, it and i don't know if this is Due to lack of oversight and, you know, maybe they need someone to prove some of these segments beforehand. Like, was Ricky's comment ad-libbed, you know, and like maybe Soraya's comment was ad-libbed because we know that they have a lot more freedom. But like, you, th- if that's the case, then you need to lay some guidelines down. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, we won't besmirch, you know, the good name of AEW. <laughs> You know, especially if you're a baby face. Not that it worked as a heel for uh, fucking MJF <laughs> earlier no, this year. I yeah, I, I don't get it. Well, anyway, we had a quick video package about uh, Brian Danielson and Sammy Guevara's upcoming main event match on the show, where uh, Danielson pretty much you know said that he's going to take out all the disrespect he's felt from everyone uh, on Sammy. Yeah, I mean, Brian on a warpath is definitely scary this led into our next match which was jamie Hayter defeating sky blue with a little bit of interference from her teammates so while like in the ring i thought the match was fine i felt like Hayter really needed to demolish blue here like i didn't think this did her any favors whatsoever she's got a big you know title match at the pay-per-view like why is she going like over five minutes with sky blue who's had like Mm. little to no tv time on dynamite I don't know. Like, I mean, it was a good match, but I would have much rather see her really show why, you know, she's number one contender here. But I'm assuming it's just one of those situations where they're trying to make Sky Blue possibly a a mid-carder instead of, you know, a jobber. I guess, but this isn't the time to do it. Uh, You know, I agree. (laughs) Like she would have recovered from getting her ass handed to her by, you know, Mm. hater who could be possibly a W women's champion. You know, after the pay-per-view. So it would have been fine. Before the main event, we had a video package from Brian Cage and Dante Martin, you know, highlighting their Eliminator match. And we also had a quick moment with Ricky Starks and Lance Archer. You, you mean the Eliminator tournament match, right? And that, oh, and that's the Starks and Archer interaction that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier with Archer jumping Starks. So... Yeah, and I I believe those are all scheduled to take place along with Bandito versus Roosh uh, on Rampage. So we will see what happens after that. You know, at first I was predicting Starks versus Page uh, for the finals at the pay-per-view, but now with this injury angle, I'm not not sure where they're going. Also, it sounds like Bandito's officially signed with AEW. Nice. So, I mean, he's, he's amazing. I just hope that they have something for him to do. 
I don't know. Maybe he'll be more on the Ring of Honor side of things in the end. I don't know. I mean, he is a former Ring of Honor champion, so Mm -hmm. I mean, that would make sense. Last but not least, we had our two out of three falls match where Brian Danielson defeated Sammy Guevara. I love this match. It was a little slow at start, you know, at the start. Um, and then Sammy threw a chair at Brian's head. Um, and I don't know, man, he needs to go to like chair throwing class or something because he's just murdering people with these chair throws. At least aim lower. Because you, like, remember, you remember uh, uh, against Hardy, against Matt Hardy. Yes. He like he hit him with the edge of the fucking chair and busted him wide open to the point where I thought the dude was going to bleed out on the show. Uh, yeah. No, I mean. He caught him right in the eye. Um, at the end of the match, you could see like Brian was like sporting a giant goose egg. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, obviously it was planned, but I don't think it was supposed to like go down quite like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I won't lie. I mean, it leveled up the match, you know, for me because I mean, you could tell that Brian was really struggling. You know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that was him selling but i mean but i also love myself a good old-fashioned hard way too because i mean he definitely hit him in the nose too because he was bleeding mm-hmm. from there also you know with, with all the stories you've been hearing about Guevara lately you don't know if he's gonna make brian snap and they would just go to town in the in the middle of the oh, room i'm sure there was some receipts there <laughs> you know especially when he was in the corner you know kicking uh-huh. him in the chest yeah there were some receipts being given uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I thought this was an amazing match. Um, you know, there was a few spots they were a little off on, but I'm okay with that. Like, I, I don't mind my match, you know, not being like perfect. Um, I mean, when you watch, you know, football or any other like actual competitive sport, you see, you know, athletes fall down and trip and, you know, screw up all the time. So I'm okay with that. Sabu, back in the days, you know, bringing up ECW again, he used to actually fuck up spots on purpose because he didn't want things to look too, like, crisp and clean because he felt like it made it look too choreographed. So I'm more of that, like, mindset. Like, I don't mind it looking down and dirty at times. Mm. Um and that's not saying that there was ton of bo- like tons of botches or anything like that, but I mean this was this was a really great match, and you know Brian and Sammy told a great story here. I mean they had fans on the edge of their seats, um, you know, and I liked the you know the whole idea of Guevara you know attacking him in the beginning of the match, you know, knowing that it's worth going down a fall if I completely like destroy him for the rest of the match. So I mean. I feel like more people, not to sound like Tony Schiavone, you know, more heels should be doing that in these like, you know, best out of, you know, three falls matches. Uh-huh. No, I I feel like it, it's fine for especially for a match like this where they're really beating the hell out of each other for someone to, to slip, even if it wasn't on purpose. I feel like that's perfectly fine. I expect them to be wearing down as they get beaten the fuck up. You know, it's yes. just how it should be in a fight especially like a best out of like three falls match yes Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be a feat of attrition like you're you're supposed to be going through a war so i'm totally fine with that yeah but like you said brian picks up the win um you know getting the momentum headed towards their uh four-way match uh for the ring honor title at the pay-per-view uh which is going to see jericho versus cesaro versus brian versus guevara uh 
after a promo uh, with Cesaro and Brian both mentioning how they both feel like they're deserving of another shot at Jericho's belt. Um, Jericho uh, decides to take both of them on because he feels like there's actually animosity between the two. Um, But he's not going to go in there shorthanded. So he also announced that Guevara will, you know, also get a shot um, in the match because he knows at the end of the day, uh, his little buddy will do the right thing, which, you know, once he said that Guevara looked a little confused. Um, So I'm curious to see where that goes, you know, if something Mm -hmm. happens there. Um, But my guess is Jericho walks out of the pay-per-view still champion picking up like a sneaky pinfall and and maybe it ends up being on Guevara. Who knows? Maybe like forces him to stay down after like probably kicking out a couple times. I don't know. I mean, I could see Guevara hitting like a big move or something like that. And then turning around and eating like, you know, a Judas effect or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, You know, maybe they play up, you know, some animosity, you know, between the two. I just feel like it's way too soon to um, ask fans to get behind Guevara again. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a long road before he's a face uh-huh. in that company. I agree 100%. But anyway, that does it for AEW Dynamite this week. Um, make sure to join us next week as we will preview the Full Gear pay-per-view and make our predictions. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman!